And when we give that kind of a response, it catches people off guard because they don't, they don't think that's how you could respond to something like that. But you see, that's about a life that's, that's in surrender, a surrendered life to the Lordship. And so we don't have to do it ourselves. We can acknowledge we're broken, and there's incredible strength in the surrender and yielding to that and saying, Lord, help me, I can't do this. Now, in Lent, these, these few weeks leading up to Holy Week, we're going to be looking at this concept of lifting up Jesus. And I, we've taken that title from John 8, where he says, when you've lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He. And so we're trying to lift up different aspects of Jesus to look at this Lent. And this morning, I want to lift up the aspect of Jesus in which obedience means surrender to a cross. Because for Jesus to be obedient to the Father's will, he had to surrender to a cross. In, in this passage in, in Mark, there are two rhetorical questions that Jesus asks. The first one in verse 36, you're very familiar with. It's this question, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but forfeits his soul? The other question is, and what can a man give in exchange for his soul? So in other words, it's about buying and selling. It looks at your soul from two perspectives. What can you sell it for and what can you buy it for? And the word soul in Greek can mean life. It can mean the essence of a person. It's not easily defined. And I find it interesting that the translators of this passage at one point use the word soul and then a little later use the word life. But it's the exact same word. So what can a man give for his life, the essence of himself, his soul, his eternal being, whatever you want to put in there, you, you can supply. But the question this morning relates to your soul, your person, and how surrender brings life. And what Jesus says is that you lay down your life and then you receive it back. If you try to hang on to it, you lose it. Now, I haven't shown a video clip in, I don't know, at least a year and a half, but I'm going to show you one this morning. It's 39 seconds long, and while those guys get it queued up back there, um, I'll explain what's coming in this clip. This is from a movie called, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Um, it's, from it's from 2000. It's a 15-year-old movie, and there are three characters in this scene. There is a skeptic who is mocking religion, even though his own spiritual situation is really being challenged. There is a man who has sold his soul to the devil, and there is a man who is usually very ignorant and foolish, but who has just recently been baptized, and he has unusual spiritual insight. Now watch this clip, and then I'll come back to it. Well, I wasn't using it. He's ignorant about his own soul and doesn't realize he's currently using it. He didn't think he needed it. The other one's saying, I'm unaffiliated, and also is unaware that he is affiliated because he's unaffiliated. And then Delmar in the back seat makes one of those great insights that sticks with you from this movie. He says, oh, son, for that you gave your everlasting soul. For that you gave your everlasting soul. 
Now the question, the rhetorical question that Jesus asks is, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but forfeits his soul? Well, the, the reality is that's not such a good deal because you can't actually gain the whole world. You can, at best, borrow it for a little while and some of it for a little while. And what you don't know is in the next scene, they drive down the road and he ends up using this guitar to try to make money. So he's sold his soul and got a skill, but, he, but now he's got to go and still work and he's still got to do lots of things to meet his needs. So it really wasn't a very good trade at all. It was a terrible deal, a bad deal. You can't actually gain the world with your soul. The other thing is you can't buy back your soul with the world. So what can a man give in return for his soul? You can't purchase your soul back. There is nothing that you can give for it to win it back. It needs to be redeemed and remade, which is where the work of the Lord comes in. What we, many of us do is we work really hard to make it look good, to make our life look good. This is a chronic problem, both in the church and outside of it, that we try to make ourselves presentable to the Lord, to present ourselves acceptable. Look how good I am. I'm not as bad as that other person. We, we compare like that, and we try to say, I'm worthy. That's part of the human problem. We try to do some things to somehow win our life back. And so when that opening question that I started with comes, you know, religion is just for those who are emotionally weak. Pride creeps in, and I want to go, well, I'm not a weak person. I'm a smart person, and I know the Lord. And No, I, I'm, I just have to break down and go, I can't earn it. I'm not good enough. I'm in need of a Savior. That's the start of really good news, even though it hurts to acknowledge that. Surrender is what it requires. In order to save a life, you must lose it. And surrender for Jesus involves a cross. And surrender for us, we learn, also involves a cross. Now, even sincere people look for a shortcut to glory. We want to jump over the cross and, have, and go right to glory. And in this account of Jesus, he had just asked his disciples, who do people say that he is? And then he asked Peter, and when Peter answers, you are the Christ, that is an amazing insight. But what we learned right after that is he didn't really know what it meant to be the Christ. He saw the Christ in the Old Testament terms as the anointed king, the one whom God would send who would rule, and rule in might and power and glory. But he missed the part of the Christ, the Messiah, through Isaiah 53, the, the suffering servant. He would become that ruling king by laying down his life, by being that suffering servant. And so Peter's thinking, you're the Christ. Yes. And then when he says, and you need to know that I'm going to be handed over to suffering, I'm going to be rejected by the rulers, the religious leaders, the scribes, the Pharisees, the elders, and then I'm going to be crucified and on the third day rise again. So he doesn't just leave them with the cross. He also brings the resurrection in each time he predicts his death. But he talks about that cross so plainly here that it shocks all of them. So then Peter takes him aside and begins to rebuke him. No way, Lord, not you. He wants him to skip the cross and go right to glory. And then it says that Jesus looked at the others. And I'm sure the others were all going, yeah, yeah. Peter, we're with Peter on that one. You know, if somebody's saying that they've got something really uh, wrong with them and, and they're not very good at something and you want to affirm them and somebody speaks up for you and says, no, no, you really, no, you're, you're better than that. And everyone else is going, yeah, we agree with that. They were all doing that. And then Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Those are really hard words. Get behind me, Satan. For you do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of man. And the things of man are to go right to glory and skip over the cross. And what Peter didn't realize he was doing 
is he was actually reiterating a temptation that Jesus had suffered before. You remember the third temptation in the wilderness of Satan? It says that the devil somehow took Jesus up and in a moment showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he says, if you will bow down and worship me, I will give you all of these. That's way easier than going through the cross. And so what Peter's doing is going, no, that could never happen to you. Not you, Lord. And Jesus turns and rebukes him as Satan because it's the same temptation coming back. You don't have the things of God in mind. Well, the things of God are the cross. The cross is the thing of God. Now read what Jesus says in verse 34. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life or soul will lose it, but whoever loses his life or soul for my sake and the gospels will save it. Our cross is putting to death the old man that lives within us. And it's right there before us at the beginning of discipleship, of following Jesus. If you want to follow Jesus, you don't have to go looking for your cross. It's right there before you. Now, our cross is, a, is not a, a literal one like Jesus's, although in some Christian instances, certain cases, God does call someone to martyrdom. That does happen. But for most of us, it's more figurative. It's about the struggle that we're about to enter into as God tears down the old man and rebuilds the new person in the image of Christ. And it's, it's a painful thing. But here's the trade-off. Well, you can try to earn the world, but you can only have a little bit of it for a little while. And there's nothing you could do to buy back your soul because it's, it's, humanly speaking, irreparably broken. So you have to take it to the Lord. We have to come to the Lord and let him tear us down and build us back up. Now, what can a man give in exchange for his soul? There are two things you can actually give. One is you can give your pride. And that's where it starts. That's the first cross of discipleship is to actually acknowledge I need help. It's the first step in, uh, or second step in the, in the 12-step program. I have a problem that I can't solve and I need help. And that's how, that's how we start into that. It's about pride, trying to save ourselves. I can do this and I can make myself worthy. But what we find is we can't. And so this is the real scandal of grace is that we have to come broken. If we come with something in our hands, we don't get it yet. When we come and say, I actually can't solve this problem, I cannot fix my own soul. I need your help. Save me. When we get to that place, we've now laid down our pride and we begin to get our life back. But it's a kind of death. We have to put to death the pride that remains in us to then receive the new life that comes with accepting Christ. We bring our broken self to him in honest prayer and we say, I can't fix my soul. I know it's broken, but you can. The other thing we give is idolatry. We can give back our idolatry, where we, which is really worldly worship where we are putting something else in the place of God and trying to find our satisfaction in that. It's idolatry. And, and Jesus says, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but forfeits his soul? He's calling out idolatry. And so we have to lay that down and we say, I've been chasing the world for satisfaction. You know what's so interesting about this topic is it applies to you if you're not a Christian yet and it applies to you if you've been walking with the Lord for 40 years. That there's always a temptation to seek satisfaction in something other than the Lord himself. We are tempted to run after the world to satisfy ourselves, and it can't do it. It cannot do it because we were not made for this world. We were made for the Lord. So idolatry has to be broken, has to be laid down, and just acknowledge the world can't satisfy. Only you can satisfy me, Lord, and I have to confess my love for the world and come to him. 
So why would someone do this, right? If it's hard, if we have to take up a cross and follow, that's really a hard message. Bonhoeffer put it this way, when a man, uh, when the Lord calls a man, he bids him come and die. Again, that is not a very welcoming message. Hey, come join our church, because in this church, we talk about dying. Come and die with us, right? That, that's like, people are hesitant about that. So why would someone come? Why would somebody accept that invitation? Well, one, you're feeling God's tug on your heart. He's drawing you that even though it's hard, he's good. You feel that draw. God is pulling you toward him. Another thing is that you've experienced enough disappointment. Every one of those things you've run after in the world has come up short. Every single one. Is there anything that has ever satisfied you that you didn't go back needing more? Anything ever? I'd like to hear it if you found one. Because I'm convinced there is not one. There is nothing that can satisfy you except the Lord. And another reason why you would come and take up that cross daily is because Jesus promises glory on the other side. The cross was the way that he got to glory. By taking up the cross, he went through to glory and and God glorified him. And the same is true of those who follow him. To understand Messiahship and what it meant for Jesus to obey is to begin to understand discipleship and following him. We go through a cross because there's a promise of glory on the other side. That this hardship of discipleship is not the end of it. We are being prepared for something even greater. And so even though it's hard, we also find joy and peace in the midst of it. We talk about that, that peace that surpasses understanding. It doesn't make sense to our understanding to think if I take up a cross and start following Jesus and let him help me put to death the old man that resides in me, that somehow that's going to bring me joy and peace. It doesn't make sense. But it is the universal experience of disciples. Anyone who follows Jesus and takes up the cross begins to experience peace and joy, even though it's difficult. 2,000 years, that's been the case. Obedience for Jesus meant a surrender to the cross, and his followers have the same call. So this morning, before I pray for you, I want to ask you this question, and it's about your own cross. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you've chosen to come after him and acknowledge that you have to bear a cross, this is my question for you. What is God wanting to crucify in your life? And with that question, I want to go to prayer and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you about that issue. So would you bow your head, please? Father in heaven, I thank you for your presence here with us. I thank you for your mercy and your kindness. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you did not deny or avoid the cross, but went through it. And Lord, I pray that you would show us what we need to put to death to follow you and have the peace you promise. Father, we hold our lives before you this morning. We ask for your word and we ask for your help. Forgive us, Lord. May this season of Lent be helpful in answering that question. What would you have me crucify? I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.